they have like one whole uh, subgroup of their company that their only job is to put subliminal messages into children's cartoons. You know, that sort of thing. So I'm really excited about the content list that we have here today and probably can only do about 45 mins because I got to go out to, to slave away, not for the man, but for, for my own greed, like we talked about. And so let me, let's just, I would love to run through at least what we each texted each other beforehand because a lot of food court thoughts, food for thoughts. What I caught was Princess Mononoke one of the great studio Ghibli's out there. I watched The Woman King, uh, got the first three eps of The Last of Us, caught almost the first full season of Inside Job, and Fire of Love, which lots to say about that. And then you caught also The Last of Us, Decision to Leave, 14 Peaks, caught The Recruit, I assume you continued with Andor because I know you kept you had already watched a good chunk of it, and then Stutz is that, that right? That is right. I finished Andor also. Wow. Okay. Shout out to George if you want to get some hot takes here. This is the time. George, of course, are one of our top listeners who recommended Andor to the pod. Yeah, George. Uh, so Andor is actually going to be one of those pieces of content like Pinocchio that we always bring up and we never talk about. That's true. I've watched it too, by the way. Um, so we can definitely talk about it this time. And if not this time, we'll get there next time. Yeah, totally. Totally. With Pinocchio. <laughs> right. <laughs> I So I would love to talk a little bit extra about those. So maybe we do a 30-second breeze through of the ones that we don't have overlap on. Because I got some I got some hot takes that I don't want to spend too much time on. So Okay, cool. And then, yeah, I agree with that. And then I also want to definitely spend some time on decision to leave because wow because wow okay let me just do uh my my t's and my b's the my tops and my bottoms uh real quick so tops would be princess mononoke i mean studio everything that i've watched in the past two to three weeks fucking just the anime (laughs) princess mononoke (laughs) is easily the best one like hands down it's so joyous and it's about like complex moral themes and the animation's beautiful and it just makes me makes me so happy, you know? You just can't beat Studio Ghibli. I think I just highly recommend watching it. I don't want to go into it too deeply because you haven't watched it. I'm sure most of our listeners haven't, but easily in the top. So Princess Monarchy, it it's been on my list for actually a long time. I feel like I'm about to re gear up to breeze through some of the additional Miyazaki things on HBO, but let me just read the quick MDIB here. Yeah, sorry. I'm just getting way ahead of myself. Go. On a Go. journey to find the cure for a Tatarigami's <laughs> curse, Ashi... Ta- you know what? You read this one. <laughs> <laughs> on a journey to find the cure for Tatarigami's curse... Ashitaka finds himself in the middle of a war between the forest gods of Tatara, a mining colony. Sorry, the (laughs) Fuck. On a journey to find the cure for Tatarigami's curse, 
Ashitaka finds himself in the middle of a war between the forest gods and Tatara, a mining colony under the tutelage of the emperor. In this quest, he also meets San, the Maninoko, Maninoke Hime, Hime princess, I think. Well, well done. Um, well done. Did you just ad lib your own <laughs> IMDb? I did add a piece in there. But but I do think I did hear them like say the names like a thousand times when I watched it. So, and uh, I think the thing that's that uh, Miyazaki always does so well in these movies is they take something that in even someone who I really respect, like Pete Doctor or something from Pixar, has a tendency to turn things into a little bit too black and white. Whereas in Princess Mononoke, Mononoke, they they. It's about this mining colony that smelts iron and makes guns and how it's encroaching upon the the forest and how it's harming the forest gods and the health of the plants and the environment. And so you might be tempted to think that obviously the iron smelters are bad or obviously like the wolf god is bad because the wolf god, she kills like a lot of humans and and it just does a, such a fantastic job of being like, okay, no, just a purely empathetic human being at the heart of the story. As in, uh, well, there, you're, you can be empathetic towards the the main character, but also he and then Princess Mononoke are super compassionate. And you're like, no, like it's way more complex than that. And it's about like coming to a a balance between multiple different forces. And I just, God, I fucking love it. It's It's incredible. So... You should jump jump back onto the train. Is this basically the same story as Avatar? Uh, I would say, um, yeah, actually, now that you bring it up, it's basically Avatar. So A much better version. Fuck. <laughs> yeah, a much more. Well, I, I still think Avatar was one of the greatest spectacles ever, I've ever seen. But in terms of like moral uh, uh, ambiguity and prodding into the deeper seated components of the human spirit yeah obviously you know miyazaki wins okay and then have you heard of fire have you heard of fire of love i actually have so this has been on my must watch list for a while now and it is i'm pretty sure i'll let you set it up but i'm pretty sure like some of this story is referenced pretty heavily in Werner Herzog's doc about volcanoes, mm. which was on Netflix uh, a few years ago. Well, I'll read the MDIB for this one as well. I think you're right about the Werner Herzog references. So The Fire of Love 2022, one hour and 38 minutes documentary. Intrepid scientists and lovers who are also French. Katya and Maurice Kraft died in a volcanic explosion during the very thing that brought them together, unraveling the mysteries of volcanoes by capturing the most explosive imagery ever recorded. So anyway, that's actually pretty good. That's probably the best ever IMDb I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> yeah, my main question about Fire of Love is, do they actually unravel the mysteries of volcanoes. No. <laughs> okay, well then well, the MDIB description is factually inaccurate this time. 
that's correct. I will say it's, uh, I know you're kind of asking me as a joke, but it's one thing that I love about this sort of, the thing that makes this type of documentary work is if you find a group of people who are talented or one, one usually person, in this case, two people who are talented, who also have an enormous obsession to the degree that they are extraordinarily unusual with their obsession and the thing that they are talented at. Uh, and then that thing, if you add on top of that, that thing is legitimately a mystery where it's something that is so grand on a scale that it is incomprehensible to the average human as in like literally considered to be an act of god aka like volcanic eruptions have been considered for the vast majority of human history um you have an extraordinary extraordinary story i think there's some examples of stuff like this in the world of art and also in the world of like space i mean like space and space exploration is like a common one but the niche of volcanoes and then these characters like the crafts these two like kind of eccentric uh, obsessive volcanologists from France is just such a unique story that is also so profoundly relatable no matter who you are or where you're from it's like the human relationship with the eternal or like at least with something that is so much bigger and more complex and more deadly than uh, the individual human uh, is just extraordinary and the video shots they get of these volcanoes it's it's wild and then having these two people fall in love around the volcano and i i highly recommended it i I would say jess was watching it with me i think it's probably her favorite thing she said she's seen in the last like year and a half which is saying a lot so i would put it up there as well yeah that's a lot of that's a long time scale of content it is i'd put it up there i'd put it probably in my top it's not like really fun watching i mean it's no bullet train but i'm just kidding but it's like it's so uh it's it's just uh it's a fantastic and it's also not too long so you it's like you can just pop it in and out yeah i'm ex- i'm excited to check this out because these crazy really pure love stories against the backdrop of something even crazier or seemingly crazier is always a really interesting watch about the human condition. So yeah, I'm, I'm pumped for this one. Well, so those are my top two. Let's, let's loop back, loop back to that one. Once you've had a chance to watch it, I think bottom two are, um, super disappointed. The, the, the woman King was like so fucking bad. <laughs> People put that in their like top 10 movie list of 2022. And I'm just like, what an absolute joke. I don't even want to spend time on it. It's a bad movie. Okay. I've um, never even heard of it, so. Uh, I'm not even going to talk through it. I mean, don't two hour, 15 minutes. I'm not going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> who told me? I think Sean, maybe it was Will Miller, actually, who who we both know, said he's like, I have a very strict rule. I do not read any book more than 140 pages. <laughs> I'm like, He's like, he's like, you know, I got to draw the line somewhere, you know, think about how many books are out there. I just got to narrow it down a little bit. No more ever than 140 pages. So, hey, you got to draw the line somewhere. I'm into, I'm into that framework. 
because I've created my own for movies where, I mean, two hour is two hours is the mark. And if you're above two hours, I mean, there has to be very good reason why I'm going to watch that movie. I don't feel that way, but I understand where you're coming from. Okay. Uh, Inside Jump is a hilarious cartoon on Netflix about the shadow government that runs all the conspiracies in the world. And it's funny and pretty bad, but I am totally going to watch the entire T of that television show. But it's definitely in my bottom two. But I would I would say you should still watch it. <laughs> it's, it's pretty hilarious. I've scrolled past it on Netflix, and yeah, it looks absolutely ridiculous. So yeah, maybe I will check that out. I got it here. Uh, for employees of the deep state, and I guess by that they mean... The deep state and also the deep state. Right. C Corp. Right. Conspiracies aren't just theories, they're fact, and keeping them a secret is a full time job. So is this a docuseries? <laughs> <laughs> Basically. With uh with animated reenactments of real life characters. Right. But you know, it's like they have like one whole uh subgroup of their company that their only job is to put subliminal messages into children's cartoons, you know, that sort of thing. This, will, so, this is going to hit close totally, to home. Totally mindless, but pretty, pretty hilarious. So, Okay, so I've got three here, and then you said you wanted to touch on the recruit a bit deeper, right? Yeah, I think I would love to hear your deeper thoughts on the recruit and Last of Us in particular. Okay, why don't we hit the recruit now? Because... Honestly, I don't have that much to say. I watched the entire thing. It was okay. it was entertaining. I mean, this was just a good, solid, easy watch. Easy to keep on in the background, too, while you're doing something else, which is great. Yeah. I don't have a lot of those types of shows, so mm-hmm. this fit nicely into that. It was better than I was expecting, and like I have to give a little bit of credit to the main dude because you know, I was shitting on him last time. And he's an okay character. I agree with your take that like, okay, there, there are probably some nuances to the dialogue, especially between some of the friends in DC that maybe I didn't fully put, pick up on. But I did really appreciate certain things. I think there are two main things. The first being, hey, I'm Jeff Gilbert. I work at the White House. And that is just a fucking classic because, like, you can find that person, especially in the White House, but also in other fields. Like, oh, totally. You're in New York. Like, hey, I'm George Gilbert. I work at Goldman Sachs. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Or in LA, the guy's like, hey, I'm Joe Gilbert and I work in, I'm a producer at, you know, whatever. I'm a creative director uh, with uh, 100,000 Instagram followers. Yeah, that's a hundred. Yeah, totally agree with that. Every every city has its not every city. RQB Atlanta doesn't, but like yeah, New York, DC, LA, San Francisco all have their own version of that exact guy. It's pretty great. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so that was great. And then the second thing I really liked was when they're sitting around trying to strategize a certain operation. And they all look around. They're like, okay, but what is the mandate of this agency and they look around and they all go fuck over china (laughs) (laughs) 
and that's factually accurate so amongst oh, other things it's pretty it's a great yeah i think you summarized it perfectly no no disagreement here so yeah you know worth checking out if you're out there i mean it was the most streamed by minutes show in all of streaming for that one week okay the next one was 14 peaks i think i told you about this a while ago you know obviously i'm i'm really into predominantly documentaries about climbing and i think you had watched one last year i want to say yeah i did so I, i've seen a lot of them this one was a netflix special from i think last year there's this nepali guy nims perja and he basically sets out to do the impossible which is climb all 14 peaks in the world that are 8,000 feet and above. And this is obviously like an impossible, seemingly impossible task. The re- world record for climbing all 14 of these was set, I think like, I don't know, so a long ass time ago by some guy and it took him 16 years to do it. Uh, basically his entire climbing career. And this dude says, I can do it in six months. So it's a it's a documentary about him trying to do this thing. And really like the deeper underlying context here is that he is a Nepali guy. Obviously, they have a deep-rooted culture in climbing, specifically in the Himalayas. And he is trying to bring back that cultural importance of the connection between the Nepalese culture and climbing being badass climbers to the world stage. And I will say it wasn't like the most well-made documentary I've seen, but the story is there. And just watching this guy try to accomplish something that you think is not within like human possibility is a great watch in my opinion. So I think that's worth checking out and something you could probably watch while multitasking too. Got it. I'm, Looks pretty interesting. Can I can I just say one thing, and also would love your take on this because I was taking a look at I was like following along on your description, and I see on Rotten Tomatoes the movie description says very casually with a team of skilled Sherpas he traverses yada 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 fourteen peaks thrilling life or death, death decisions. I feel like that's how literally every great climber description starts is like. By the way, there is also this team of skilled Sherpas. We don't know who they are. They're very skilled. Probably had actually already done this like many years ago. They'd already been to all the 14 peaks. and But we don't know who they are. It doesn't really matter because they're not the ones making the documentary. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, <laughs> like, can I just go ahead and pour one out for the Sherpa? Because I feel like all the also all the dumbass Westerners, not dumbasses. I mean, like good for them for like climbing Mount Everest or whatever, but. It's always like, wow, I can't believe I did this. Like me and the team of skilled Sherpas made it all the way to the top of the mountain. It's like, who are these? these guys are just like already living there. It's like saying like you discovered, it's like, I can't believe we discovered, we discovered America. America. Yeah, We just paid these guys who just basically live there and go back and forth all the time and take people like me. It's like, it's like, come on. You're like all the, I was reading about this like separately too. I got a really old book from like the early 1800s for my grandmother um, about this like English explorer who knows my whatever, great, great, whoever. And there's like a note in it and it talks about him 
exploring one of these peaks too. And he also just casually mentions like all these Sherpas that have like obviously done it many times before. <laughs> it's like, is no one, did no one read that part? Did they just like forget that part? It's a, like, it's a part of their anyway. daily routine, right? Is to summit these mountains, but they have dark skin and this is, this is a white man's uh, journey. Uh, <laughs> I mean, basically, that's exactly what it is. Yeah. It's fucked up. Which is actually why I really appreciate this story itself, because these guys, like even this Nims, the leader of the, the pack, the crew here, he he is, along with the whole crew, they're all Sherpas. <laughs> yeah. And so all of these yeah. sub-Sherpas of this master Sherpa are like, we are just so proud that one of us, a Sherpa, is a leader of an expedition. So I love that. And then I guess the one great quote that I'll leave you with is, you know, when you think you're fucked, it turns out you're actually only 45% fucked. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'm sold. I would 100% watch it. Don't expect it to be free solo or like Meru in terms of just the quality of the filmmaking, but it's an amazing story about an incredible group of nepalese climbers got it well that's exciting okay what else you got for us i'll do a quick thing on stutz and then decision to leave so stutz i don't i think i maybe texted you about this is jonah hill's new film let me pull up the mdib this came out late last year i think over the holidays so it's called stutz after his therapist phil stutz the mdib Follow Hill and his therapist as he has candid discussions of mental health and the progressively worsening anxiety attacks related to movie promotion that have turned his dream job into a nightmare. Okay, that that is actually probably the second most factually inaccurate description I've seen. <laughs> Wait, what's the most factually inaccurate? Uh, fire of Love. They're talking about how they solve the mystery of volcanoes. That's nobody's done that. Well, no, but it was a great. Okay, Okay, fine. All right. Uh, I'm just being a dick, but (laughs) (laughs) I really, really liked this documentary. It had almost nothing to do with the description that I just read. It's essentially starts out as them trying to make a documentary about let me document the therapeutic tools that my therapist has taught me in my life that has made such a big difference in me living like a fulfilling, confident life for myself. Turns out that performance and the acting around that, that that's not the type of material that makes for an interesting documentary. And so almost in real time, you see them take off that metaphorical mask and It ends up being a documentary about how to be authentic and genuine in front of each other and like find that connection, the real connection they have with each other around acknowledging traumatic events and learning how to heal and move past them or or, or live a good life in spite of those traumas. And so I I think it's a really well-made heartwarming doc about that really the connection between these two guys that's really interesting i will have to check it out it looks pretty interesting it's all real or like yeah all real stutz must have a a booming practice after this 
yeah although i mean spoiler maybe i'll cut this out but like he also has parkinson's so he is essentially on the road to death and he's like acknowledged that and that's like a part of this doc oh jesus okay well i'm gonna have to check that one out stuts and let's see coming in at one hour and 36 minutes well under your two hour yeah it's a good runtime. Let me hit decision to leave, and then let's end on the last. Decision to leave. This was one of the best movies I've seen recently, I would say. This is definitely in the high art category. Uh, It's two hours and 20 minutes. So I broke my rule here and made the exception. This is directed by Park Chan-wook. So he is a wook at heart, which is good to know. And he, he's a pretty well, <laughs> literally, and metaphorically, <laughs> literally, pretty well-known director, I would say. Korean guy. He's directed The Handmaiden, which I think is probably his most well-known movie, at least in Western cinema. And then he did Old Boy and Thirst, neither of which I've seen, but I, I have heard Old Boy thrown out there as probably his single best movie. So interesting. I have seen, uh, I have seen The Handmaiden, and it is one of the more. It's a got. A, he definitely has a very visually striking style. Yeah. it seems like, and I assume that's also the same with Decision to Leave. Does is that like his general style? I guess. Yeah. Like? Yeah, he definitely has a very clear point of view on how he wants his movies to come across, and not only is it visually stunning, but he his movies are very jarring, right? In the best way possible, especially Handmaiden, which I thought was, it's an absolutely crazy watch. Decision to leave. So I'll read the description. A detective investigating a man's death in the mountains meets the dead man's mysterious wife in the course of his dogged sleuthing. Dogged sleuthing. Okay. So, this was not as physically jarring to the body and the eyes as his other movies. But ultimately, this is not just a story about the investigation of a murder. It's really a really fucked up love story. Oh. I think some of the critics said it's one of the most weirdly like romantic films of the year from last year <laughs> and yeah against the backdrop of this like murder thriller essentially it's about the woman who is a primary suspect in the murder of her husband and the detective who is investigating and it's a love story between them particularly under the constraints of just societal norms and what we expect or how we expect people to express love for each other, this breaks those constraints and asks us what type of fucked up stuff are people willing to do because of love. Wow. Just briefly reading reading through the Rotten Tomatoes snippets from the top critics, as you said, that seemed to be like all echoing the same exact concept a pretty pretty fascinating i'm i'm consider me peaked peak peak my interest has been peaked peaked 
Yeah, Piquade. <laughs> Piquade. Piquade. You got some really hot hot ones these days. We got. I'm gonna have to pick up like all of these. I think you haven't had any bad ones yet. Yeah, I've sort of been on a roll, and I know I say this a lot, or maybe a lot recently, but the cinematography in this movie was just out of this world. The shots they got, the way they framed everything, the colors. I mean, it's very rare that you see this type of like, I don't know, artistry in the way that people portray yeah. the types of shots they get. Uh, I mean, wow. So yeah, hi- highly recommend for the Zeit fam out there. Well, let's end on something that I'm really excited to hear your take on, which is an HBO original, The Last of Us, which may be described as uh, the following. After a global pandemic destroys civilization, a hardened survivor takes charge of a 14-year-old girl who may be humanity's last hope. So I found out after watching the first three episodes, maybe I knew it beforehand, but I guess there's like a video game that this is based off of, which I've never played. I probably would have been more turned off to it if I had like thought it had to do with like a video game, but sorry, I don't want to drive too far ahead, but... It is a zombie. It's a take on a zombie movie with a pretty clear, like as you could hear from the description from MDib, a hardened survivor takes charge of a 14 year old girl who may be humanity's last hope. Almost describes like something that came out of chat GPT, you know, like describe the storyline in, you know, two sentences of a zombie survival, post apocalyptic survival flick. But, um, one, I'm a super big sucker for zombie movies. And two, I just loved the way that, without going into all the details yet, I loved the way that it does this almost episodic approach where each episode, at least in the first three, has a totally unrelated story. Well, sorry, it is a directly related story, but it happens in a different timeline with different characters in the main character that take like sometimes up to 45 minutes of the plot that then weaves into the plot of the main story with the main two characters. Um, One of which is Pedro Pascal, who of course is like the hottest thing on the fucking planet these days, ever since I guess um, that horrible movie he was in Disney plus a horrible TV show that I'm not going to mention that involves star Wars and um, not Andor and uh Anyway, I just love the way that it's done. I fucking love the way that it's done. I'm excited to see where it goes. It could still fall flat on its face, but so far I'm I'm, a, I'm just a huge fan. It's a pretty refreshing take, and I can't get over my love for for good old fashioned zombie apocalypse. But you may totally disagree. Would love to hear your your take on this thing. Well, first of all, I've only seen the first ep. This actually broke my rule for TV shows, which is I mean the first ep is almost an hour and a half long, so. Uh, made an exception, but I think I generally agree with your take. I saw, I mean, I saw like the first little bit of episode two. I love Pedro Pascal, big fan, uh, because obviously he was in The Mandalorian, which is one of the greatest shows out there. Uh... <laughs> <coughs> Sorry, just threw up. Sorry, Bradford is uh... a. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Second of all, the video game aspect, I didn't get either. I had heard that, and I was like, well, then I'm not going to watch it. But 
apparently you don't have to know about the video game at all to appreciate this show. Definitely not. I, I literally didn't know anything about that until I started reading critical reviews of it. And then second of all, I'm actually on the other side, opposite side of you. I do not really like zombie things. I don't, I don't like the concept of zombies. I just think, well, I don't have to, let's not get too deep into what I think about zombies. I just don't think it's like the most entertaining stuff to watch. But this take where it's kind of like somewhere in between zombies and, you know, real life uh, COVID subvariants of 2023, then sure, I'll watch that. It definitely is like obviously trying, at least I don't, I don't know, maybe this, the video game was like this beforehand, but in the show, at least they, they do make it obviously try to tie it to parallels of like it jumped between, it's like due to global warming or something, like a certain type of fungus is, you know, more likely to, to be transferred from one insect or one type of animal to another animal. Yeah, I I agree with you. It It was more like nuance it's definitely zombies though like it's yeah definitely zombies although i guess the the human interactions with zombies or or the way that people would react to a zombie apocalypse is not all that dissimilar to how we if the if covid let's say then the next pandemic that happens you know as sam harris always says this is our dress rehearsal for the actual like really serious pandemic (laughs) <laughs> I can imagine this is like not that far off from how we might act towards each other. If you're sick, I may just shoot you, right? That's not like a yeah. unfounded <laughs> reaction to somebody you might think could infect yep. you walking towards you. I mean, that's it's the the whole like quarantine zone concept, like with walled settlements and walling people, like blocking off whole sorts of cities to let them die is like exactly how most European city-states handled the bubonic plague. So, yeah, it's That's super, a great point. like, yeah. on, on point. So I liked the that human aspect of it. Now, I kind of have probably an unpopular take right now because, I mean, this is, whether we like it or not, sounds like you do like it, we're watching the zeitgeist in real time, and this is the top of the list, right? This is seeping into the main part of our culture for, for most of this country. And I think that's evidenced by the fact that like this show already got greenlit for season two, like right when episode two dropped, which is pretty fucking early. But my main takeaway was I'm not sold yet. I didn't find the first episode that compelling. It seemed like a pretty typical story, a generic story about how you, would react to some sort of apocalyptic type event. And I'm waiting for what's unique about this. Well, I think what's unique is this sub. We'll see if it continues through the future episodes. But episode three is one of the more unique ways of telling a story that I have seen yet like that's that is the type of episode to drop that i imagine would have people writing about this nonstop. because i don't want to give it away but 45 more than half of the entire episode is about two characters that play a very only a really 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 tiny part in the actual main storyline and 
they are it's a love story about i don't even want to tell you about it but you should you should watch it it also it has um it has the the hotel manager from the first season of the white lotus oh man oh the main the main characters (laughs) and and he kills it and anyway i don't i want to tell you more (laughs) but if you know armand's involved and uh and it has like basically almost a half movie like a 50 minute like short film about him uh finding love in a the middle of a zombie apocalypse that just happens to be tangentially associated with the main uh plot line you know i think i think you'll like it it's definitely a a different different way of handling a television show that type of episodic approach i feel like either works really well if you can pull it off it's hard to pull off if you don't pull it off it's awful. Sounds like they pulled well, it off. You tell me. Okay. Check it out. It's, yeah. Okay. Well, jury is still out on the site, it sounds like, for The Last of Us. Obviously, The Last of Us, as you pointed out, KY, is in the Zeit Geist, whether we want it to be or not. But uh, the Zeit has yet to pass judgment. So far, I'm a fan. KY, not as much. But we will follow along and see. Overall, it sounds like, let's summarize this episode. I think what we have is a definitely watch. If you're feeling your Studio Ghibli, check out Princess Mononoke. Uh, Check out The Fire of Love. Obviously, hit up Decision to Leave, Stutz, and 14 Peaks. Great watch list. I'm going to definitely hit up the ones you mentioned over the next week or so. We'll be talking about uh, Pinocchio yep. next episode, along with Andor. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Definitely. I'm looking forward to that. <laughs> uh, I don't even want to hint at why we're not talking about Andor or Pinocchio. Uh, it, I mean, let the yeah. listeners decide. If you're out there and you think you might know, hit us up. Hit us up at the Zeit. Wait, what is our email? I is, uh, so I actually got a we got a new email here, <laughs> zeitbuster at gmail dot com. We'll take requests. We'll take feedback. 